Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. 4 o'clock Central Hour, OutKick 360 rolls on from Music City, Nashville, Tennessee at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine, The Brewery and Distillery. Uh, right here as well, you know, we're discussing Universal Studios and so you want to hard to describe what goes on here at 62 Body as well. Come check it out for yourself. Uh, monster screens to watch all the, uh, they have a movie night here. Uh, they've got uh, all the food and drink that you need, of course. Moonshine tastings. Um, yeah, it, it's fun for the whole family. They've got basketball goals, the whole thing. It's heavily it's like, visited. It, it's like my reaction to the Fox Sports Studios. You think, oh, I bet it's a small place. Then you get here and you realize, no, it's actually huge. And this place is huge with plenty to do. Some things uh, to do tonight in just a moment. First, uh, and I'm sure this has happened between then and now, but it's the first time I can remember this being a possibility. And Paul, correct me if I'm wrong. Has there been an AFC championship parade in a city since Nashville did one for the Titans after the 99-2000 run? I don't recall. I imagine there probably has. Um, but I, I think it's probably something that we haven't paid much attention to. I mean, the Broncos, if the Broncos would have won over the Patriots. They went on to win, so they're doing the championship parade anyway. I'm trying to think of the... Super Bowl losers. Yeah, the Super Bowl loser in uh, in the AFC that, that would have thrown a parade. I'm imagining it, they're it, having one in Cincinnati. Well, I don't know if they've announced it yet, but the crowd that was on hand when they returned back at the airport was massive. And my guess is, if you're the team, you want to capitalize on that momentum from a fan base perspective and go in with a little juice. I think you've got to do it pretty quickly, though. Well, yeah. Like, uh, today's already Tuesday. If you haven't had it, guys are scattering. Uh, you know, I don't picture guys coming back and hanging out uh, yeah, no. for, for a very long time in a cold-weather city in particular. And in Nashville, if I'm remembering correctly, that was Monday that was that, ripe, yeah. that parade was held like almost as soon so, yeah, as they're they gonna got do back. It, if they're going to do it, it's either today or tomorrow. Yeah. But I, I'm just seeing like a, a, the crowds on hand for, for the airport, and I'm thinking, okay, this, this would be the time, the first time in a while since we've seen it. Which is very cool. I, I mean, n- nothing beats that connection between a city and uh, and well, uh, and a team. And it t- even you if you come in, up short, even if it's after cheesy, a long drought, you can tie it into what Burrow said post game, where he said, "Hey, this it. sucks, but there are some successes that we can point to in what we did, even as I sit here, fifteen minutes after the game after losing the Super Bowl." You can tie that in, and for the first time in 31 years, not only do you win a playoff game, you go to the Super Bowl, and you 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 know celebrate the young team that's actually doing something with a, a great quarterback. I'm all for it. I think if there is a demand for it, your organization would be doing a disservice if they didn't do it and give the fans an opportunity to celebrate a team. 
So that's absolutely what Cincinnati should be doing. It's also happening if it does happen because they're absolutely a loser franchise. Yes. That yes. This, this happens with loser because franchises. Because they've been a loser franchise. Yeah, I mean, if you're winning Super Bowls, you're not having a parade no. for the Super Bowl loss. But when you're, you know, you're not going since 1988 and you've never won one, you throw a parade for a Super Bowl loss. And that's not me demeaning the city of Cincinnati or Bengals fans or anything. For that's sure. just reality. If yep. the Browns make it to their first Super Bowl and lose, there's going to be a hell of a party in Cleveland. Would there be when one here again? Yes. Because this is not a loser franchise in Nashville with the Titans, but a very average franchise and in the NFL. a limited history franchise. Yes. There is a pretty big game in the SEC tonight on the hardwood. Tennessee hosting Kentucky. Um, I was hoping this game was going to be a weekend game. I'd yeah. be there. If, uh, if it were in Knoxville and it was a Saturday, like it was last year. This is on a Tuesday night. But the magnitude is big as we get set for positioning going into the SEC tournament. Point spread's moved a bit since the first matchup. It's, uh, well, the point spread hasn't moved all that much. The point possible differential, uh, Tennessee hopes, has moved a lot. I don't think Kentucky was a huge favorite in the first game. Kentucky won by 28 in Lexington in the first matchup, 107-79. to 79. Tennessee, after that game, was 2-3 and three in the SEC. Kentucky was 4-1. and one. Tennessee has since reeled off seven straight SEC wins. They are now 9-3 and three in conference, 18-6 and six overall. Their only loss was that clunker where they erased a 16-point deficit in the final three minutes and had a shot to beat Texas on the road with a furious rally in the end. Tennessee, I said at the game after that, they may have figured something out offensively in that rally at Texas. They have. They've been scoring more than 70 points per game in SEC play. Josiah Jordan-James has gotten a lot better. I don't fully trust this Tennessee team yet, but I'm coming closer to trusting Josiah Jordan-James, who is a jack-of-all-trades type guy for them. Key tonight in this game for me, Vescovy's been in foul trouble as of late, got in foul trouble against Vanderbilt on Saturday in a win where they swept Vanderbilt. He's got to stay in the game and be good. I think... Josiah Jordan-James, John Fulkerson. John Fulkerson, two years ago in Lexington, scored 27 points to beat Kentucky on the road. Became a legend that night as a younger guy. John Fulkerson, who's a 24-year-old, 60-year senior, I don't think he's scored more than four points against Kentucky since that game. He needs to be a 60-year senior difference maker tonight. It is not, back. Yeah. It's not going to yeah. be easy against Oscar Shibwe, who is a possible Naismith Player of the Year for Kentucky, who has been great. Um, but Tennessee's got a shot tonight. They're a one-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. Rick Barnes is 8-7 and all-time against Kentucky, or since he's been at Tennessee, which is, when you think about the Kentucky teams he's faced, pretty remarkable for a Tennessee basketball coach over that period of time. So even with a loss tonight, he's 500 against the Cats. This Kentucky team, though, is one of three I will put out there that I think if you're putting the odds on national championship, they're one of three teams I, I'm watching. Auburn. Auburn, Gonzaga, Kentucky. And Gonzaga's back at number one. And there are people that are going to argue with me. You can argue Arizona. You, you can throw out a lot. Of, and Arizona's very good. There are some other very good teams across the country. Give me those three, then maybe Duke right after that. <laughs> this Kentucky team is stacked. And they're a little bit shorthand tonight. Toppin's out. Uh, Washington may be out in this game. He was big in the first game. But also keep this in mind, Kentucky shot 61% from three 
68% from the floor in the first game. They put up 107 points. That's likely not to happen again. That hot of shooting. But Tennessee actually shot the ball well in that game, too. It was a crazy game. Um, so it, it, it's going to be a big one. We've seen the atmosphere in Knoxville get better and better as the year has gone on. Tennessee's yet to lose a game at Thompson Bowling Arena this season. This, though, is when the Super Bowl's over, these are the matchups you want to see. This is crunch time now. We are in mid-February. There's only six games left in SEC play before uh, tournament start. It's down to the nitty-gritty. Tennessee, Kentucky, they're in a group of four right now with Auburn, who's more than likely going to win the conference, and then the group of three, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas. Tennessee's got this last one with Kentucky tonight. They got two against Arkansas. They have Arkansas coming weeks. up this weekend. Arkansas on the road this weekend. They close the regular season out at home against Arkansas. So that those two games will probably decide three and four in the SEC. I think Kentucky's going to be the second place finisher in the SEC. I think it's them and Auburn in the SEC. And he brings up the, the, the far and away the two best teams, the top four for for good reason um, with the the seedings and the pairings for the SEC tournament uh, moving forward. Uh, there's another uh, double buy for the top four in the SEC. Buy, That's yeah. why you don't play until Friday if you get a top four seed. Villanova takes on Providence tonight in another top twenty-five matchup, but that is on like CBS Sports Network or something um, tonight. That that tips off, I think, at six o'clock Central, and then Tennessee Kentucky tips off at eight o'clock Central. You sure on that's ESPN? on FS1? Because I know I they show a lot of Big East so. games on on that network, and maybe not. They've got a lot of different uh, contracts. But yeah, this is this is the yeah, time it's, of year it's where you, CBS Sports Network. Okay, this is the time of year where you can focus in more uh, on college basketball. Uh, but this is going to be a great atmosphere in, in Knoxville tonight. This is uh, I've got a neighbor who's a huge Kentucky fan, and she told me this is the one I care most about because of where she lives in the state of Tennessee and the fact that Tennessee should not beat Kentucky in basketball, and yet they've been beating Kentucky in basketball since Rick Barnes got there. Flip it for Tennessee football fans against Kentucky. Losing to a Kentucky in football hurts yes. a little bit worse when they have bragging rights over you in that sport. This is a sport that Kentucky obviously historically has bragging rights over almost everyone. Kentucky fans would argue they have bragging rights over everyone in Did college basketball. Did you talk basketball. a little trash? Did you say, hey, we're going to be a threat tonight? I'll leave Look her alone. Out. I'll leave her alone. Well, I, I don't want to go after people when they're too emotional with their teams. <laughs> Well, the um, let's see. So I'm trying to think of a better scenario for Tennessee to go in this game against Kentucky at home. Coming off the blowout loss and then to be winners of seven straight, playing well, finding the offensive rhythm. Well, they, could not, they couldn't buy a bucket. It was like a lid was on the basket. Horrible on offense. Great defensive efforts, but horrible on offense. And now the switch has flipped to where they're a much more even team throughout the seven-win streak. And they get Kentucky, who whipped them, you know, and well, and, and, and they're since, at home. You've got again the the motivational yeah. factors there should play in Tennessee's favor. And look, Tennessee was winning games after the Kentucky loss, but the ball movement was not there. It, it, something changed in Austin, Texas. They started whipping the ball around. Their offense moves better. Guys are moving without the ball. Uh, everyone on that team is very unselfish. That's never been a problem at times. Too unselfish, but they're not afraid to take an early shot clock shot which the, the problem before was they were moving yeah. the ball, moving the ball, and then someone have to force up a bad shot at the end of the shot clock. They're taking shots earlier. Their offense has got more flow to it now for that very reason. Um, you got Kentucky who hasn't had really a, a layoff all year in their play. 
But still, the big issue for Tennessee is, and everyone in college basketball goes through a funk over a, the course of a season or the course of a game. Tennessee's funks in the end game are legendary. They have five to eight minute scoring droughts, not a little two, three minute scoring drought. Saturday against Vandy, they take a 16 point lead. They don't score for five and a half minutes, and it's a one point game. It's hard to dig out. All of a sudden, that, that's their problem is you can't do that against Kentucky. If you have one four or five minute scoring drought, you're probably down 15. Yeah, there's an NBA spurt at coming. that point to Kentucky because with Severe Wheeler running the point for them and Kellen Grady shooting the ball and Oscar Shebway getting every rebound, as a former basketball coach friend of mine once said, that guy eats glass. That's what he does every he time, offense it. and defense. Um, and that is something that will translate to the NBA. That's one quality in a basketball player that always translates, rebounding. Kentucky's very, very good. People are surprised Tennessee's favor in this game. It's simply because they're undefeated at home. Uh, Kentucky might be down a couple of players. Kentucky's a better team, but Rick Barnes has had Rick Barnes has had much worse teams go up against Kentucky teams as good as this one and win. I realize it's a Tuesday, I, nine o'clock Eastern tip-off time, and a packed Thompson Bowling Arena is going to be pretty cool. Yes, this yeah. is as, as opposed to like a factors. two o'clock tip-off on Saturday. I think fans would would prefer the Saturday tip-off, but the 9 p.m. start time with this has a bit of a feel of a bigger atmosphere to me. I think the atmosphere, Hutton, will be better than if it was. Tennessee's had some big atmospheres for like noon Eastern time CBS games. This would typically be a Saturday or Sunday CBS tip-off against Kentucky, but I think it's going to be even better with a late-night start in Knoxville tonight. So Kentucky, they've got Tennessee. I think next weekend they play Alabama, which is always a struggle for Kentucky fans because if you're a Kentucky football oh, fan, it's you're a tough one. You know, you know, if you're Alabama football fan, you're a Kentucky basketball have fan. To change out all your gear. But Alabama's right there. They're they're like fifth or sixth in the standings for the SEC currently, behind LSU. They may be tied with LSU right now, but that's a big game well, for them for seeding purposes coming up. Tennessee's got a tough close this season. They got two with Arkansas, one with Kentucky. Now, as you mentioned, they host Auburn in that stretch also. They got two games they, they must win at Missouri, at Georgia, that's sprinkled in there. Um, but you look at this conference, kudos to Eric Musselman in Arkansas. I thought they were dead in the water. They lose at home to open SEC play to Vanderbilt, and they were not good in the non-conference. They reel off nine straight wins, including a Auburn. win over number one Auburn. They lose this weekend by one at Alabama. No shame in that on the road. Alabama's very good also. But Arkansas, Tennessee are the two teams I would be watching in this conference that seemingly are playing the right way at the right time of year. There's still a few weeks left in the, in the regular season, but those, both those teams are red hot, and they are much different teams they were in mid-January right now in mid-February. Those are two teams I'd watch as the season closes out. Super Bowl 56 is complete. Bobby Carpenter is about to join us. And I would describe Super Bowl 56 as a Bobby Carpenter-type game. His buddy Matthew Stafford wins his ring. Defensive efforts up front, really strong. Both quarterbacks got knocked around. And for the most part, the officials didn't play a big factor in the game until the very end. We'll discuss the Super Bowl and get Bobby's take on that, plus some other headlines next on OutKick 360. You ready? Showtime. 
On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Throughout Matthew Stafford's career, there have not been many opportunities in big moments to go out and grab the moment. He waited a while, and he was traded to Los Angeles and put together a 15-play drive that ended in a touchdown, going up tempo, ended in a touchdown to Cooper Cup to go win the Super Bowl this past Sunday. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Over the last couple of weeks, Bobby Carpenter's been joining us uh, to discuss Stafford, the Rams, how they're built. He certainly knows Stafford well. Uh, he, he described Stafford with us as one of his favorite teammates, if not his favorite teammate ever that he's played with across the league. Bobby, uh, describe what it was like to watch Stafford, not just Sunday, but throughout this entire playoff run. The dude sees the moment. Many, many guys either shy away from it or play small when the magnitude gets big. He was the opposite. Well, I'm glad that you said it wasn't just the Super Bowl. It was really the whole playoffs. And so obviously they had the beat down, you know, Arizona early in the playoffs first round. But if you look, you know, the second half against Tampa Bay, you have Tom Brady roaring back, charging back, ties that thing up at 27. He leads a drive, you know, the bomb to Cooper Cup over the top. They get the game winning fuel. They win that game. They're down 17 to seven against San Francisco at one point. He puts together some phenomenal drives in the second half of that game and ultimately wins it. And then he's down four points in the fourth quarter, you know, seven points in the second half and was able to put together a drive to go ultimately go and win that game. And it was, it's just a testament to what he is for a guy who, you know, people just looked at him in Detroit and, you know, they, he's just a compiler. He's a guy that puts up a lot of meaningless stats. And yeah, he was playing in a lot of games at the end where yeah, he's racking up 350 yards passing. They're down by 17 points. That's not his fault. I mean, he, yeah, he had Calvin Johnson there. And people have pointed that out to me, you know, a number of times. And yes, that's all true. It's all well and good. But he didn't really have much of an offensive line. Their defense ebbed and flowed while he was there. He never really had much of a running game. And frankly, the 23 rushes, gentlemen, for 43 yards, he really didn't have a running game on Super Bowl Sunday either. And so as I sit here and look at him, I'm happy that he went from 0-3 in the playoffs to a 4-0 run did a tremendous job, really no rushing attack in the Super Bowl. He put him on his back. Yeah, he had two picks. The one, it's ill-advised, drifting to the side. Another one's a tip. But I thought, you know, when the moment was the biggest, he played really well. And I'm not saying that I think he's a shoe-in Hall of Famer at this point. He's still a guy who's in his early to mid-30s. He still has career left. He's going to win more playoff games. He's going to have more success. I would have to say that he will be a Hall of Famer by the end of his career. And I have to listen, you know, Richard Sherman comes out and says, you know, Matt Ryan had an MVP. Well, let me tell you this. 
Matt Ryan also had a 28 to three lead on Tom Brady and just needed to close it out and get a first down a couple of drives together. And he couldn't do it in the biggest moments. So you can sit here and sell me MVP, all this other stuff. He has never had the team like this around him. You gave him that team. He loses OBJ and is still able to get it done and perform at the biggest time. So you know, while I know Joe Burrow, there's a ton of guys I know on the Bengals. It was going to be an emotional game for me either way, watching, you know, half of those guys have to lose that game. I'm incredibly happy, happy for Matthew being able to silence a lot of doubters, the things that he's gone through in his life. He had the gentlemen, think about this. He had the injury tag early in his career. Couldn't get healthy. Couldn't stay healthy. All this stuff. He was a bust. You know, he sheds that. He plays tough. He plays through stuff. His wife has a brain tumor. They go through all of that. I mean, He's just a phenomenal human being. And for him to be able to finally have this reward, like, and, and not and not like talk about him. I mean, he's delegating all of the success to everybody else. He's just really a great guy. And I'm really happy for him. And hopefully this begins to change the narrative on Matt Stafford's career finally. Bobby, how about the the instant chemistry between him and Cooper Cup that we saw this season? And two great players, obviously, and they they both clearly prepare very well. But when the game was on the line, it wasn't just Stafford coming through. It was Stafford saying, I'm going to Cooper Cup on every play. Even on a fourth and one play, they're running the ball uh, with Cooper Cup. Just watching that final drive, what are you thinking? And what do you think about the pairing of those two and, and how the records they broke this year? Well, you look at the records they broke with Cooper Cup, but also look at the chemistry he had with Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, guy that came in middle of the season, you know, obviously I had some issues in Cleveland, but you know, they developed a pretty quick rapport in, in, a, in a hurry and looked really good in the playoffs, looked great in the Super Bowl. And so I think that it's really a testament to Matthew and his ability to have no ego, put that aside. How can I help serve my receivers? How can I make them better? How can I get on the same page with these guys? Understanding that every one of them is going to be different and everyone runs their routes a little bit differently, but who you can count on, where they like the football, I mean, he's a guy who is selfless. He's a worker. And if you look at, I mean, and now it's been talked about a lot and you've seen the clips of it. I used to see it in practice firsthand quite a bit. I mean, the no look pass that he throws to Cooper cup, like you said, the trust, that's the other thing. A lot of quarterbacks, they don't fully trust their guys and they don't necessarily have the arm as well to be able to put it in there, maybe throw it a little late, but Matt trusted Cooper cup. He's staring down the low and then has the no look to Cooper on the dig in behind. And it's just, it's something that, you know, speaks to the volume of the talent that he has, but also the trust that he puts in his receivers to be able to say, hey, if I throw an interception, that's on me. I trust that you're going to be there. I'm going to put the ball where you need it. I saw you had some praise for Zach Taylor, maybe in the first half for aggressive uh, approach. Second half, he was playing with the four-point lead like he was up two scores, and I, I thought it was one of the things that really hurt the Bengals. What did you think of their approach at that point where it seemed like they felt like the Rams weren't going to score again? Well, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. You come into that a Super Bowl, and you always want to second-guess yourself. I thought Sean McVay would be much more aggressive based upon the last time he was there with the Patriots, only producing three points. And, you know, he talked about how he'd overcomplicated things. I thought they'd keep it simple like they did, but take some more shots. You get Zach Taylor coming out. I mean, he, he was not going to play it safe. He was not going to be cautious. They go for it on a fourth down on the opening drive. They don't, they don't get it. I, I didn't love the play call, but, you know, he's throwing the halfback pass, you know, down in the red zone. 
that's something that it takes some guts. I mean, uh, McVeigh ran, you know, tried to run the reverse pass to Stafford. That didn't work because when that fails, you take a lot of heat if you ultimately lose the game. You know, he goes for it on another fourth down with Burrow on the uh, on the draw. I like that play call. And then he had a couple of max up shots, you know, in the second half to try to get some things going. And, you know, it ultimately worked. And I think it helped out. You know, the problem was, and I think if you look at that game and realize the chips, the pieces that each guy quarterback or co- coach and even quarterback was working with, Zach Taylor was at a deficit. He didn't have the talent that Sean McVay had on the other side. He could not protect his quarterback in the second half. And people blame that on him. Like the roster was the roster at that point. They went some empty. They were getting the ball out quick. They were maxing up, throwing some play action. They went three tight ends with an extra tackle to be able to run the ball a little bit in the second half. I mean, he was doing a lot of things that I thought, okay, he thought about this. He knew they were going to have issues. He had a lot of counter punches. Unfortunately, he just didn't have enough that when you're sitting there looking at a a second one, you probably run it there. It's easy to say that now. They choose to run it on third. Aaron Donald makes a phenomenal play that probably only he could make with his strength and physical prowess. And then he makes another one on fourth down. And, you know, when you have guys open, but if you have less than two and a half seconds to throw the ball as a quarterback, it's incredibly difficult. So, People want to throw some shade. And I haven't been the biggest Zach Taylor fan, you know, during his tenure at Cincinnati, but I thought he called a pretty darn good game given the options that he had. A Buckeye and former NFL linebacker Bobby Carpenter with us. You can read his work and watch him on the Outkick YouTube channel. Just check him out at outkick.com. You mentioned that failed reverse pass back to Stafford. I love Chris Collinsworth line where he says, a little Philly special, although a lot more special in Philly than it was in L.A. <laughs> yeah. uh, on, on that play call. Um, Andrew Whitworth, I know you know him from his time in Cincinnati also, Bobby. You, you living there in Columbus doing your show there. How remarkable is it to watch a guy at that age not just play, but play at that level, at that position? Well, you know, not just knowing him from living in Columbus and watching him in Cincinnati. I mean, heck, guys, I played against this dude. I played <laughs> against him. He was, he was in the NFL for the majority of my career. I mean, Whit's been playing forever. And playing at a really high level, and it's amazing. I mean, he's gotten better since he's been in the league. You know, obviously, I think he's past his prime, you know, his apex prime, but it wasn't like he was a liability out there. He did a pretty darn good job. He's overcome some injuries. One of the all-time great guys you're going to find in the NFL. You're not going to see a player who's more respected than him. And, you know, for him to get a Super Bowl victory against his former team, like, I know he, he, he thinks a lot of Cincinnati – you know, he was happy with his time there, but to finally see him get a Super Bowl victory and, you know, with his relationship with Joe Burrow that he developed you know, through their rehabbing last year, it's pretty darn special, man, because you wonder how many more times and how many more cracks he's going to have. And maybe he comes back. Maybe he doesn't. But, you know, with what he's done and what he's contributed to the game over his, you know, what is it, 14, 15 year tenure, it's amazing. I'll tell you how old he is. My, my kids, my daughter, She's sitting there looking at him. I was like, how old is that guy? I'm like, well, he's, he's about dad's age. <laughs> That's the reality of it. He's still playing, and I'm sitting here on the couch next to you. Well, and then you have 10 years younger, Aaron Donald, uh, playing the best of any defender in football right now, who you know reports are he's contemplated retirement. What are, what are your thoughts on Aaron Donald potentially hanging it up after eight years in the league, getting the Super Bowl championship, and, and having the ring, having the moment in the game, and he's a three-time defensive player of the year? Well, he's achieved about as much as anyone can achieve from that position. He's been as dominant as anyone. You look over the last 20 years, I mean, 
him and J.J. Watt racking up multiple defensive players of the year, just absolutely wrecking games, even when they're game planned for their double team, they're getting the line sliding to them. Everything teams do offensively revolves around trying to make sure Aaron Donald does not get in on the play, and he still does. That's what makes him so impressive and amazing. You know, on thoughts on retirement, it wouldn't stun me. It, it wouldn't blow me away anymore because he's made a ton of money. Guys today are smarter than they ever have been. They surround themselves generally with better people. They have great influences. They understand the power of their brand, how they can monetize that. And, you know, and guys are making millions of dollars now off of the field, leveraging their name and likeness, where before you get endorsement deals, guys now are getting it on the equity side. They understand what they can bring to the table push out a little bit of cash early on to take some equity and to be able to take that later and, and earn bigger payouts. And so, you know, if he's doing that, if he's involved in those things, I could see him being financially set for a long time. And the reality is too, gentlemen, like Aaron Donald is not an overwhelmingly large guy. If you look at him, he looks like just a huge linebacker. He's incredibly explosive. He's incredibly powerful. You see all those physical attributes but it's not like he's 6'5", 340 pounds and can just wear on people. He has to play really hard. He has to train really hard all offseason. It takes an emotional and physical toll on you to do all of those things. And, you know, Tom Brady loves to compete. Aaron Donald loves to compete. But, you know, when you're playing quarterback, it's not as physically and as emotionally demanding on you all year long. Aaron Donald's going to take some time off. And then you're, he's going to get back to training. And you're going to see some of these videos when they leak out and you're going to think, man, this guy's a monster. He's like a running back that's 295 pounds. But your body can only take so much of that beating in the training. And he's a guy that works incredibly hard at it. And at some point in time in your life, it's like, you know, and it happens differently for everybody. Like, you know what? I dedicate so much to my craft. I've been so selfish with everything that I've done. Now it's time to give a little bit back to my wife. It's time to give a little bit back to my kids. And, and it wouldn't shock me if like, hey, I got that. I have what I need. I won the Super Bowl. I've won every individual award. I'm one of the greatest in my position, if not the greatest of all time. And now I have this. You know, you choose to walk away with your health. I, I can never begrudge anybody for that. I'm intrigued by by your perspective on it because I mean, you're a known college football player, um, playing for Ohio State. You're a first round pick by the Dallas Cowboys, um, but you nor anyone else, for that matter, plays at the level this guy does. You know, and, and is in the same conversation that Aaron Donald is in. Bobby Carpenter of the playing years would have said what to retirement at age 30 if you're playing at this level and achieving this Ooh, greatness? You know, it, it's a tough one because you'll love playing, you'll love being dominant, but your body, like, and this is what my dad told me, he played 10 years. And when I was a young kid, I was like, dad, why did you quit? Why did you retire? He's like, I used to always love competing. I love the practices. I love the games. Eventually, battling through injuries, battling through the soreness, all of those things. He goes, it takes an emotional toll on you where you still love it on Sunday, but it becomes a race every week to try to get ready for Sunday. And, you know, it started happening at the end of my career. I started looking at some other things that were happening. And that's why I tell Aaron, like, if you don't, you've got to love it, man. Cause when you're waking up early in the off season, you know, when you're younger, you can do it in the middle of the day, you're doing this and that and everything rotates around you. You see him with his kids now. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to work out. I'm doing all these things. But now I also I want to be around my kids. I want to do this stuff. Well, that, that detracts from what you're doing. And so you still have to have that passion and that desire and feel like you're not 
just eliminating so much else of your life and cheating people that are close to you that love you. And if you can keep that balance, keep doing it. If you feel like it's slipping and it's hard, well, that's where you maybe need to sit back and reconsider some things and look at what you want the rest of your life to be, but also understanding that you get your, your peak athletic prime only for so much, so long, like you can't go back when you're 40 years old. You can't say, I wish I wouldn't have stopped playing at 31 and played longer. And so you always have to balance that with, well, I regret it. Will I miss it? And so that I think is the thing that he's going to have to weigh here this off season. Smaller story out of Cincinnati than settling for a Super Bowl loss. Luke Fickle's contract extension, $5 million a year, a nice number compared to what his old number was and what some of the good chain of coaches that, that have passed through there made. I'm curious about the buyout. Have we heard anything about the buyout? You know, I haven't heard anything on the buyout yet. Um, just knowing how Luke operates. I mean, the, I'm telling you, gentlemen, there's people in this world. And I know that it's like crazy and people can't understand and they can't admit that. But there's people in this world that care more about like what they do than ultimately maximizing the dollars that they get. I mean, that, and that's Luke Fickle to a T. Like when he said he wasn't talking to people about other jobs, like he wasn't just paying lip service and having his agent work on it and other people, you know, from what I've been told, like the USC job was his, if he just wanted to tell him he could, he, he was going to take it at the end of the year. I think if he would have committed to Notre Dame early on, they probably would have been more on board been on board to bring him in as well. And so I think he, the only job at this point that he most likely will leave for is Ohio state. So he could say, you make the buyout, whatever the heck you want it is. It doesn't matter to me. This, this would be the only other school at this point in time that I would ultimately want to leave for. They compensated him well. They also bumped in. And this is the thing, gentlemen, that you well know. You start following college football. It's not just what the head guy makes. You know, they threw another million and a half, $2 million into his assistance pool saying, we're serious about winning. We've given you an indoor. We've got really good facilities. We'll continue to upgrade them. And you've done a great job the last two years. We hope you're happy here. His wife loves it there. His kids love it there. Like, I mean, he... It's it's a perfect fit for him. I think the only place that he would ultimately return to would be his alma mater should that job come open. So I think, honestly, the buyout numbers, I think they're really inconsequential to Luke. Let's play a hypothetical here, Bobby. Let's hypothetically say that you are the defensive back coach for Cincinnati, the Bengals, on Sunday night, and Vernon Hargraves runs onto the field as an inactive. How does Bobby Carpenter, the coach, handle that? Oh, my. I mean, he's a grown man, so you have to watch – you know, exactly your tone and what you say. And I understand, man, you're excited. I never got to play in a Super Bowl. I can't imagine how I'd, excited I'd be to play in it and how disappointed I would be not to be playing, but then, you know, just trying to do anything you can on the sideline. So, you know, my rule is, hey, listen, if you don't have a jersey on that day or shoulder pads, like you can go out when guys are coming off the field, but it's like you're staying inside the numbers. You get down there in the end zone, like you're not doing anything but detracting from what's going on. You were a distraction at that point. You ultimately cost your team, you know, it would be 10, 15, I think it was 10 yards because it was in the end zone half the distance back. We have no idea how that impacts play calling. You don't want to take a sack on your 10. You might be on your three-yard line and worry about punting the football. If you're on your 20-yard line, well, you have a little more breathing room right there. I mean, I, it would have taken all my energy, you know, not to just open hand slap him across the face and say, what are you doing? You're a grown man. This isn't Little League. You can't just be running out there on the field. 
crazy. Al, Ma- Al Michaels had the best line on that. He's like, well, there's Vernon Hargways who, who's inactive. Uh, he may be inactive for a while. <laughs> well, Maybe a permanent inactive situation now for Vernon Hargways. I, I would have just said, just go to the locker room. I don't know if I'd have just screened the guy on the sideline, but just, okay, you're done here today after that penalty. Let's go ahead and go to the locker room. I mean, very rarely can you cost your team, you know, yardage or scores or anything like that if you're not in the game. And that that's probably the, the advice that you would just get out. I don't even want to look at you right now. We'll address this later, and you better pray they win. because So then it's like, you know, your parents, when you do something bad, if it all works out, well, then it's, it's not that big of a deal. But they ultimately lost, and so – I don't think it was something that maybe dramatically impacts the outcome of the game. Maybe there could have been, you know, things that were handled differently, but yeah, send them to the locker room. You lo- you have lost your privilege to be on the sideline with this team based upon what you did. And you know, let's call it what it is your immaturity to control yourself and to control your emotions. Final thing for you, uh, the officiating in the game, uh, for the most part, they're letting these guys play. And then towards the end, the defense is probably playing exactly the same way they were throughout the entire game, and the penalties start flying. Now, on a handful of these plays at the end of the, the drive that ultimately went to Cooper Cup for a touchdown, they're pretty obvious. There were some that, I, I mean, we saw one to open up the second half that should have been called. They're saying that the official came out in the pool report saying that he didn't think it had impacted the play at all. Well, if that's the case, then neither did uh, the, the play at the end on the, uh, the defensive holding call on Logan Wilson. Your thoughts on the, 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 the decision to throw the penalties late as opposed to throughout the game, which was definitely something that they chose to do. So it drives me crazy as a player to see that because as a player, all you're looking for is consistency. And so, yeah, there's the Jalen Ramsey play on T. Higgins. There's one you know, in the first half, I believe, where he runs a slant and, you know, Higgins does and Ramsey kind of, you know, wraps him up. It could have been called a holding there. I mean, you know, there was plays that they could have called, but they were letting the guys play. And so you set your expectation for how you're going to operate based upon what they're doing. They're calling it tight, hands off, understand it's going to be more of an offensive game and it's going to be really difficult. They're not going to let much hand fighting go on down the field, but they were letting it go. And gentlemen, how great and how enjoyable was the game to not sit there and look for a flag. It was great. Each and every play. Like we didn't have a lot of holdings, offense, defense, all this crap. None of the, you know, helmet to helmet hits on the quarterback and, you know, defenseless receivers. Like it was just nice to sit down and watch a football game where the refs and the officials, you know, they were more like landscaping than actually the focal point of what was going on. You know, they weren't the house. They were just some of the flowers in the front. Like, yeah, that looks nice out there. They're not really involved. It's good. I could do without them. But you know what? They add a little something to it. And then all of a sudden, the last two minutes, yeah, maybe there were some penalties, especially the one on Eli Apple, you know, on the out. I think that that was pretty obvious. I wouldn't have been upset if that was called. The one on Logan Wilson, I felt like that was just an anticipated call where like, oh, he beat him across his face, which Wilson shouldn't have let him done. Shouldn't let it happen. But I, I mean, I'm looking at that like, man, if you're calling that holding at this point in time, Let's go back and look at the other 58 minutes of what was going on. Like, I sympathize for defensive players at that point, and I just don't like to see the inconsistencies. Like, I'm not a fan of swallowing your whistle at the end of games. Just call it how you've been calling it. Yeah. It's that simple. And so they tried to tighten it up, man, and those, you could tell that there was a little bit of, obviously, a divergence there from the expectation and then how it was being officiated. Definitely. Bobby, appreciate you, man. Uh, you can follow Bobby on Twitter for those listening and viewing, at bcarp. Three. You can, of course, uh, watch him on the YouTube channel for Outkick College Football. 
Uh, we share those as well on Twitter, and you can read his work and uh, view it at outkick.com. Appreciate you, man. Uh, enjoy the weekend going into it, and uh, we'll catch up next week. Absolutely, guys. You enjoy it. Thanks. Right. Bobby Carpenter there. Uh, nice enough to join us on a Tuesday. He's got some uh, trip or something coming up uh, on Friday, I believe, for his normal visit with us weekly here on the show. We wrap up the show, hit some headlines, and look forward to some things this evening next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Been a fun show today. Uh, good show planned tomorrow. Dick Vermeil headed to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He will join us as well as Dan Dockich and Primary Complaint. That's the Wednesday edition. We'll be here at 6th and Peabody, our studio downtown Nashville with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine for Outkick 360. So the news nuggets uh, coming out from a book released to be released on February 22nd, Ian O'Connor's Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski. A bit about Amaker and Shire vying for that job, um, which I think has been covered ground. The interesting thing to me here, um, a look at how Duke reviews the financial records of top recruits, quote, to ensure that there are no transactions inconsistent with his family's employment status and financial standing, end quote. The book cites a source saying that the school reviewed Zion Williamson's family bank records before he enrolled. Quote, we don't have subpoena power, said one school official. We can't be confident we see everything, but we tried. Zoops, Duke's subsequent investigation into allegations that Williamson and his family members had received improper gifts and benefits cleared the player. So they get the family to share their checkbook and stuff to go through it and make sure line item and what they can find doesn't have stuff that doesn't jive with the family's income and stuff. And this is the new book that's out? Yeah, Ian O'Connor. That's pretty intensive uh, investigation to me that makes sure that, that there's no crazy findings. Well, Nike could have just given him the money yeah, right, right after the cash. investigation, too. Or, or cash. Or just, oh, Duke's looked into it. Here you go. Yeah, right. Right at the start of your freshman year. But still, it's an interesting attempt uh, to, to cover all your bases and make sure you're getting a cl- quote-unquote clean guy, in your eyes anyway. Even though the deal was done. Yeah. yeah, look, I don't think that Coach K was out there, you know, like Will Wade with strong-ass offers and a bag of cash or anything. He's not that guy. Yeah, but ultimately. But things happen around the Duke program like they happen everywhere. I don't think he was the one leading the charge to make it happen, but Caught up. when you're a Nike school like Duke and you're getting that level of player and you're going after that level of one-and-done player, things will happen. I, and I, things happened at Duke even – with the great oh. Coach K. I mean, oh, I everyone knew entirely. he had the shoe deal. I mean, because remember the, the tournament game where his shoe broke? 
And everyone made a big deal like, oh, he's not going to sign with Nike now. Well, turns out he already had. Yeah. <laughs> Book also covers uh, belief, a belief among rival schools and coaches that the governing body, NCAA, gives Duke favorable treatment. I mean, I, I truly believe we're going to have Dan Dockich on tomorrow, but Bobby Knight may have been the one coach that won national titles, multiple national titles, and got great players that legitimately never cheated in that way. And that would have stopped at the moment he saw it starting to happen. And he operated. Or not an, recruited someone that was and, getting money. And he operated in an era where you p- could conceivably still exist in that. Could you now? I well, you could exist know. in it, but you know, you're going to be you mediocre. In it? Yeah. I mean, one of the knocks on Mike White at Florida is that he's too clean, that he won't pay players, Which and that he won't shame. allow it to happen around. And He's probably going to get fired if they don't make the tournament this year. And there's no real penalty. They're one of the first four teams out right now. There's no real penalty for not just towing the line, crossing the line. I mean, because look at Will Wade. I mean, if you have a university that's willing to stick by you and just deny it and just ignore the NCAA, which is what they're doing. I mean, they're yeah, we're waiting on the investigation that? to conclude, but still, they they didn't fire him in in fear of you know uh, penalties coming down. They actually laughed at the NCAA's face with it. Yeah, at least if you're Mike White and you see LSU suffering for it, you can take some some uh There's heart no suffering though. Yeah. No. No suffering. There's yeah. success. They've struggled as of late, but they're a they're a tournament team. But the fact that they were reviewing the bank accounts does tell you that they were They knew something. They knew something, something but it, it like I'm naive like I'm not I'm looking at it thinking, okay, it it would be naive of me to think they're reviewing it to make sure everything's on the up and up. I would be reviewing it to make sure that there's no trace of any money coming in because I know it's there. It's a CYA. You could say, look, we did our due diligence up to this point. Right. And whatever else happens, happens. Yeah. Once he's here, he's and here. He's here for really a semester. I'm also fine with that. Shrewd. A semester. I mean, Zion Williamson is going to get paid at Duke or paid somewhere else by Nike. So if you're Coach K and Duke, well, we looked into it. We did our due diligence. And- and now we have them, so let's play. And, and what play it was, ball. you know, they missed out on LeBron. They were not going to miss out on Zion because of the rule in place where you had to go to college for a year. You had to wait a year. You couldn't jump straight from high school. So they got their guy. And in the meantime, a lot was circulating about how they were doing it. And they were covering their grounds, making sure there was no paper trail. Which you can't blame them for. Fun show today. Back at it tomorrow for Outkick 360. Enjoy the hoops tonight between Kentucky and Tennessee. Uh, should be a really fun one down at Thompson Bowling Arena in Knoxville. We'll recap that. And again, Dick Vermeil on tomorrow's show. We'll chat with him about getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame and Dan Dockage on tomorrow as well for Outkick 360. I'm ready for daylight savings time. Don't block the box. Do lock your lock.